What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Guest Friday on Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, as you may have noticed from our uh, social posts on uh, Facebook and Twitter. Uh, You may have noticed that uh, this week we're doing uh, another mailbag episode where I'll be um, answering questions from the listeners. Um, Had the announcement Monday and We've got a lot of questions, probably the most questions that I've ever gotten uh, doing these uh, listener questions or mailbag questions, whatever you want to call it, the uh, fourth edition that we've done this. Um, the previous previous time we did it with just Patriot questions um, as we kind of did a lead up to football season, but this will be um, a mailbag open to all, all sorts of questions. Um, and not just limited to Boston teams. I uh, got a couple of questions this week um, on uh, non-Boston sports-related questions. So I think without further ado, let's get into it. Uh, first question that I got this week was uh, Matt Plew's mother uh, submitted a question. Uh, Matt is a uh, has been a guest on the podcast a couple of times. Um, and so Matt's mom wanted to know, uh, what do you make of the MLB playoffs now that the Phillies and Padres have advanced? So, first of all, great question. Um, I think that it's it's exciting. I think it's interesting because you have two teams that I think no one really expected to be in this spot. So I think it's it's excitement. You know, it's excitement that it's not just the Dodgers, you know, and the Braves. It's not you know a teams teams that won a hundred games. You know, it's two teams that kind of had to scratch and claw throughout the season, you know, San Diego and Philly, it was kind of up in the air if they were going to make the playoffs for, for points this season, you know, Philadelphia is playing for their lives almost the entire last two months of the season. So I think it's exciting to see these both, both of these teams here. Um, And I think that you've seen plenty of excitement through the first two games as each team has won game three is tonight in Philadelphia, but it's, it's great. I think it's great for baseball. It's great to see that you have some different teams that are this this deep in the playoffs. And, you know, one of these teams is going to the World Series. You know, Phillies going to the world, would go to the World Series for the first time since 2009. Um, and San Diego would go to the World Series for, I believe, the first time since 1998 or 1999 when they played the Yankees. So, you know, it'll be a long time coming for either of these teams. But, both of these teams have been really fun to watch um, in their in their playoff series, in the wild card series, the division series. You know, San Diego has been really fun. It's been a really fun place to, you know, kind of witness when you're watching on TV that those fans there are really excited. You know, Philly fans, you know, we all know how they are. So I think it's exciting that you're seeing two teams in the play or two teams in the league championship series that you may not have expected when the playoffs started, but I think it's great for Major League Baseball. Um, so next question I got was uh, from a uh, old classmate of mine, uh, Chris Feldman. Uh, Chris is a, a big Rangers fan. I've, I interact with him periodically on Twitter, but uh, Chris's question is a hockey question, um, and he was wondering who was going to have the better year Detroit or Ottawa? So, great question, Chris. This is a, 
a question that I thought a lot about this week that, you know, both of these teams did a lot in the offseason, did a lot to get better. You know, I think that Detroit probably made the most moves out of free agency. Ottawa probably made the most big-time moves, you know, with the additions of Debrinket and Giroux. But, you know, starting with Detroit, some of the guys that they brought in, I thought it was really smart bringing in David Perron, bringing in Andrew Kopp, bringing in Dominic Kubelik, you know, adding to the guys that they have with Larkin and uh, Lucas Raymond and um, Bertuzzi as well, who I believe is on injured reserve at the moment. Um, I think I did like the signing of Ben Sherratt for Detroit. I probably would not have given him the contract that they gave him, but I think he's a decent player. You know, Ole Mata is decent, won a couple of cups in Pittsburgh. Um, you have Robert Haig, who I thought was a solid addition. Um, and then Moritz Seider, obviously, who I think is a, you know, a, a, a player that I think could challenge to win a Norris Trophy in a couple of years. Um, so I think that, you know, going back to the question, I think Detroit's going to have a better season. I just... I have more confidence in their defense and their goaltending than I do in Ottawa's. You know, I think that Detroit having a guy like Nedeljkovic that has shown that he can be a pretty solid solid goaltender. You know, Philly Huso I thought was a smart addition as well. He was a guy that kind of sort of split the net with Jordan Binnington in St. Louis. So those are both capable goalies. I'm not really sold on Ottawa's goaltending, you know, at the moment. You know, Cam Talbot's hurt. He'll be out for a decent period of time. But, you know, it's Anton Forsberg and Magnus Helberg, you know. both of, Neither of those guys, I don't really think, expresses a lot of confidence um, in terms of this team. You know, they do have some decent defensive players. You know, Jake Sanderson was a highly touted top five pick um, in a recent NHL draft. It may have been 2021. Um, you know, Thomas Shabbat's still there, and he's a good player, uh, but it's just, it's, it's a defense and a goaltending just kind of unit, if you want to call it that, that I think I have a little more confidence in Detroit. It's not to say that Ottawa's not dangerous offensively, you know, me a Bruins fan, obviously, I know that well enough the fact that they, uh, you know, hung seven goals on the Bruins the other night, um, you know, clearly the talent that they have, you know, mentioning Giroux and Debrinket they brought in in the offseason, that's adding to, you know, your Brady Kachucks, your Josh Norris's, your Drake Bathersons, um, your Tim Stutzlitz, you know. Both of these teams, I think, have some good offensive firepower, but I think when it comes down to defense and goaltending, I think Detroit kind of has the edge. So I would think Detroit has the better year, to be perfectly honest. I don't know if either of these teams make the playoffs. I still think that the top four in the Atlantic last season is probably going to be the same top four this season. You know, the order might be different, but I think I kind of expect it to be the Bruins, the Panthers, the Lightning, and the Leafs, you know, unless something crazy happens. Um, But I do think that if something crazy does happen, it's one of these teams that makes a run to the playoffs. But But I think that Detroit has a better chance this season, so... Great question, Chris, and I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out this season. 
Um, so now going over to the NFL, got a question this week from uh, one of my friends, Connor Ward. Um, and Connor wanted to know, uh, what advice would you have for drastically underperforming two and four teams that are projected to miss the playoffs? Any hope for them to turn it around? So Connor sent me this question yesterday, and this was prior to the uh, Cardinals and the Saints game from last night. We're recording this on Friday morning. So the Cardinals and the Saints did play last night. The Cardinals won. So they improved to three and four. Saints dropped to two and five. So I think I'm going to look at four teams in particular. One of these teams does have a two and four record, but the Cardinals, <laughs> Connor was referring to the uh, Cardinals and uh, the Saints and the Denver Broncos. So I think the advice that I would have is it's difficult because I do think that some of these teams are going in different directions. I think with Arizona, it was kind of, you kind of, you get back to the type of team that you know that you are, you know, a team that can be explosive through the air. I thought that it was huge that they were able to get DeAndre Hopkins back last night. He had a pretty good game. And I think for the Cardinals is just to simplify things, you know, just kind of do what you know that you're good at, which is, I think, being an explosive offense, a good, solid running game that I think can play well off of Kyler Murray, similar to how the Ravens have a good running attack. Um, but the Cardinals seem to get everyone involved in the running game last night. Um, you know, I think that you look at someone like James Conner, the season that he had last year, I think was totally out of nowhere, you know, 16, 18, whatever, whatever number of touchdowns it was, I think he's never going to do that again. Um, but I do think that they were a team that kind of, you want to get back to basics, being a good explosive offense, being a defense that can create turnovers, make big plays. They had two pick sixes last night. So I think that I like where the Cardinals are going, but I think that, you know, defensively, they probably are not where they need to be. Kyler Murray, I think, has had some 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 ups and downs this season, but I think I'm confident in the way that they played last night. They can kind of be going in the right direction. Denver, on the other hand, you know, defensively, they're a really good team, and I don't think that that's been the issue with them. The issue is, you know, maybe having a coach and a quarterback that just are not on the same page. You know, Russell Wilson, I think, clearly is playing through an injury. I think we heard about that last week. But it just doesn't seem to be any consistency with that offense. That's a team that I'm not really confident that they're going to be able to turn it around because, you know, you brought in Russell Wilson to be a dangerous offensive weapon. He hasn't played well. You know, the defense has kind of carried them. So, you know, anytime you do have talented players, you absolutely can turn it around. I mean, you saw what happened to the Patriots last year. They started 2-4. and four. They were able to make the playoffs. Um, but I think for Denver, it's maybe it's similar to what Arizona is doing. You know, get back to basics, do things that are simple. But I think that Nathaniel Hackett might be making things a little bit more challenging than they need to be. So I don't know if I'm confident in that team. You know, the Saints are a team that, the defense has kind of let them down this season. Offensively, they've had injuries that have kind of messed with the continuity of their offense. Um, 
then obviously, you know, Andy Dalton steps in last night, throws a couple picks, a couple of them get returned for touchdowns. That's a team that I'm not super confident in either. Um, and then you look at the Raiders, you know, one and four, they're a team that desperately needs to get some consistency going. Um, but they're a team that I think kind of got lucky last year. You know, you look at the four overtime games that they played last year, they won all four. That's almost unheard of. You know, teams don't play that many overtime games. And the Raiders won a lot of close games last year. Unfortunately, they're losing a lot of those games this year. So they're a team that has a lot of talent, but defensively, it's letting them down. And it's kind of something that I saw coming, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I think, sure, you can make the sexy trade for Devontae Adams. You can sign Chandler Jones, but until they start to affect winning on the field, it's not really going to matter. So, you know, the Raiders might be able to turn it around, you know, if they start winning some close games and the defense comes up with timely stops and turnovers. But, you know, they're a team that I'm not really sure. Um, But Arizona is a team that I liked what they did last night in their win. So I have confidence that they can turn it around, but the other teams, not so sure. So... Uh, great question, Connor, and I uh, look forward to seeing that play out the rest of the season. So, and now we're going to get into some uh, New England sports questions. Uh, got a great question from Andrew Lydon, who's been um, on the podcast a couple of times talking Patriots. Uh, most recently was on as we um, did kind of a recap of the day that we went to training camp um, in late July. So that was a lot of fun. So Andrew's question um, is about Johnny Smith, and his question was, are you expecting him to maintain his momentum from this past week, and what production is needed from him to be considered a successful season, successful contract? So kind of two parts to this question. Um, A great question, Andrew. You know, I think that we all kind of, for the first time, were able to see Johnny really kind of break through and have a big you know, I don't want to say signature game because he only had two receptions, but had that big 53-yard catch and run that set up the Patriots. Um, I think I think it was in the second half. Um, so I think the hard part is, you know, this is kind of a Patriots offense that week to week we kind of don't know what we're going to get. You know, in terms of who is going to kind of be that go-to player. You know, in terms of offense, there have been, I think, certain games where things have happened where you, you know, rely more on the running game. You rely more on your wide receivers. So it's hard for me to kind of expect consistency from certain guys on this offense because you never know. You know, Jacoby Myers is probably the only guy on offense where it's like, okay, if he's healthy, you know he's going to get his six, seven, eight, nine receptions. As far as the other guys, you know, it kind of comes down to situationally. Um, So if we're talking about momentum through the passing game, I think that he could. The Patriots are going up against a pretty poor Bears defensive team, you know, a, a team that just overall doesn't really give you a lot of confidence and a team that I think the Patriots should be able to beat with ease. So it's kind of interesting because I don't know is this a game that the Patriots continue to get the tight ends involved? Because it really seemed like for the first time last week, you saw Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith both have very impactful games. So, so I, 
I think it could continue, but it probably depends on, you know, how the Patriots are going to approach this game offensively. You know, is this going to be an establish the run type of game? Do they want to try to ease Mac Jones into the game as the reports are that he is expected to play? So could we see more passes to the tight end? I think we certainly could in this game. Um, but I think in terms of receptions, you probably don't see him get more than three or four in this game. You know, he had four receptions in the Baltimore game. Um, so I don't know if I'm expecting to have him continue his momentum. But I think also this second part of the question um, that Andrew asked is interesting because I think with Johnny Smith, you know, clearly you look at the contract that he signed and you look at the restructure that he had. You know, he's going to be making he's going to be making 17 million against the cap next year, 18 million against the cap next year. So, you know, I think the the easy thing to do is say, oh, okay, well, if that's going to be the case, his numbers should reflect that. But I don't think it necessarily needs to reflect an offensive production because I do think he helps the team in other ways. You know, he's a much better blocker than I think I expected. And so I think if he's helping the team and helping the team to be successful, it doesn't really matter to me how much money he's making. I mean, obviously, if he's making close to $20 million, you want him to be able to be a successful player. But I do think it's, look, it's early in the season. The Patriots are still working on installing this new offense, which I think has shown signs of improvement over the last few weeks. So you would think that they could take another step forward. But I think in terms of specific production, there's not really a number that I have that, okay, he needs to do this for this season to be successful. You know, he's got nine receptions, 119 yards so far this season. I think that he's probably on pace to have a better season than he did last year, but I don't think it needs to be okay. He needs to have 35 receptions for 500 yards and five touchdowns for it to be successful. I don't think it really needs to be that. I think as long as he's helping the team win and helping the team to be successful, that's really kind of all that matters. So, you know, great question, Andrew. We're going to continue with the Patriots. Got a couple of questions about Bailey Zappi. Um, there were a couple people this week that asked multiple questions, so I might have to bounce around between different people, um, but I think I want to focus on Bailey Zappi for this, these next questions. So uh, my good friend Jack Drew submitted a couple of questions this week. One of his questions was, when Mac Jones returns, if he plays like he did before the injury, how long do you think it will be before Bill makes Bailey Zappi the first string quarterback? So you know, there's obviously been a lot said this week about the uh, supposed quarterback controversy. You know, I don't really think there is a quarterback controversy, to be perfectly honest. But um, the interesting question here is, you know, Mac Jones obviously had kind of been turnover prone before his injury. And, you know, I think that for Mac Jones to be pulled as the starter, he's going to need to play worse than he did through the first four weeks. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily possible, but or first three weeks. Um, I don't know if it's really possible that he could play much worse, but I think that's probably going to be the only way where if Mac Jones is making colossal 
colossally bad mistakes that is, you know, costing the team games, then I think you might see the Patriots go back to Zappy, but Mac would have to be very bad. You know, I think he would have to be worse than what he was before the injury. Um, and I just think that the Patriots are going to put him into, into a position to be most successful. So, you know, if Mac plays worse, then Zappy maybe gets the call after the bye week. But I can't imagine that things are going to get so bad that they're going to replace Mac Jones. I just don't think that's going to happen. Um, so, got a couple other questions about Zappy. Uh, ben Baptiste wanted to know, um, is Bailey Zappy what the kids refer to as him? So, <laughs> kind of using some slang there. Him is like, a, you know, I'm him. I'm like that guy. So, I don't know if he's that guy for the Patriots in terms of being like the number one starting quarterback. I don't really think that that's what's going to happen. You know, appreciate the question, but I think for what Zappi did, what he was asked to do, I think he did incredibly well and wasn't overwhelmed. You know, I think that he improved from the Green Bay game and, you know, did exactly what the offense needed him to do. Now, the Patriots were not playing two of the best defensive teams in the league the last two weeks, and I think that that was part of the reason why he looked so comfortable you know, the Patriots had really good offensive games, but, you know, they weren't really challenged a lot in those two games. Patriots played defenses that just looked out of sync. And I think to the Patriots defense, I don't really think that Zappi really had to do much in that Detroit game, you know, did have to make some throws in the Cleveland game and looked great. But I think that he did about as well as they could expect. And I think you know, I look forward to seeing what Zappi can do the rest of the season. You know, if he gets into any games, I'd be surprised. But I do think that it was really valuable experience for him and that you can see that he can be a legit number two quarterback. You know, he can be a good backup. And the Patriots, you know, don't have to have the worry of Ryan Hoyer where, you know, you kind of don't know what you're going to get. A guy who's, you know, getting up there in age and you know, obviously we hope that he's recovering well from um, the concussion protocol. Haven't really heard a lot about him recently, but I think Zappi, with the way he performed last week, gives you hope that, okay, this is a kid that can play. Now, kind of continuing to go along with the um, Zappi and Mac Jones theme, uh, my older brother Tyler submitted a question. Uh, he's been on the podcast a couple times. Um, and so his question is, what do you think the realistic development of Bailey Zappi is? So I think that there was a video that I had seen this past week with uh, Jason McCourty on NFL Network, and he was making the comparison of Mac Jones and Zappi to Robert Griffin III and Kirk Cousins um, when they both got drafted in the same draft in Washington in 2012. Um, and obviously... You know, Robert Griffin was kind of the can't-miss guy. Injuries kind of plagued his career. Kirk Cousins comes in and has had a pretty solid career since. But I think he was trying to make the comparison that, okay, you have two young quarterbacks. You can feel confident in having both of these guys. There doesn't need to be a competition. But, you know, the Patriots have two solid quarterbacks who can play. And I think that that's kind of the point. However... You know, I don't think that Zappi really has much of a downfield 
arm presence, if that makes sense. You know, he's not a guy that's going to be taking a lot of shots downfield. You know, Mac Jones, I think, has better arm strength, and I think the accuracy is kind of where, you know, Zappi did make some good throws, but I do think that the accuracy isn't quite all the way there where it needs to be. Um, but I do think the realistic development is he can be a good number two. You know, he can be the backup quarterback. You know, you do need to develop quarterbacks. You know, you can't have your guy and you can't have your number one, but you also want to have another quarterback in case, you know, God forbid there's an injury or the starter doesn't play very well. You want to have a capable backup that you can feel confident going to. Um, And so I think he can be a good number two. He could probably start later in his career if he gets an opportunity you know, I liken him to someone like Case Keenum. Um, there was a comparison that I had heard a couple weeks ago that <laughs> he could be a kind of a career backup but could start if he needed to. So I don't really have an issue with him being here um, or him being kind of the number two. doesn't need to be a competition, but I do think that I was impressed with what he's done in the last two weeks that you could feel confident that he could be Um, that number two guy. Um, So going on this kind of same vein, uh, my good friend uh, Alex Mobosley submitted a question. Uh, He's been on the podcast before uh, talking UFC, but his question is, do you think if Max starts on Monday, it'll be a make or break game for him? I mean, I think for me, the simple answer is no. You know, I do think that this is not a game that he necessarily needs to go out and throw for 300 yards and be, oh my God, okay, he needs to perform better than Zappy or the Patriots are going to go back to him. I think it's just good to have him kind of get back into it, get him back in the saddle, get him to take care of the ball better. You know, I think um, it's not necessarily a make or break game. You know, you want to see him play well, but I guess I'm going to be surprised if the Patriots want him to be making too many plays. You know, they probably want him to make an easy plays, you know, not doing anything crazy, but who knows? You know, I do think, though, with kind of the rehabbing of the ankle injury, they're not going to make him have to kind of run around in the pocket a lot. You know, they're probably going to rely a lot on the running game this week. So I wouldn't look at this game to say, okay, this is going to be the game that the Patriots decide who's their quarterback. Mac, I think, is always going to be their guy. So... I am curious to see how they approach this game from an offensive standpoint, but I don't expect this is a game where, you know, if Mac doesn't play well or doesn't do a lot offensively, that's not a indicative of how the Patriots see him moving forward. So I think that that was it for all the Patriots and his happy related questions. Um, I did get a Red Sox question going back to, uh, Jack Drew, and his question was, uh, what are the chances the Red Sox pay both Devers and Bogarts this offseason? So, you know, as we talked about last week or the week before, um, the front office, you know, Heim Bloom, um, Alex Cora, a couple of other front office guys kind of had a press conference at the end of the season, and they said, you know, signing Bogarts is their top priority. So, I'd like to think that the chances that they re-sign Bogarts are good just based on those comments. Um, I think that they should sign both guys, and they can 
and they probably will. You know, I just, I can't see that the Red Sox would think, okay, we can get, <clears throat> you know, better production from <laughs> other guys at similar positions. You know, whether they look look at someone like a, a Trey Turner or or Carlos Correa or one of those shortstops that could come in and, you know, do exactly what Bogarts does. Um, I just think the easy thing is to just re-sign both of these guys. I do think that the chances are fairly good. You know, both guys, I think, want to be here. You know, it kind of remains to be seen how the Red Sox can come to an agreement with Devers in terms of a correct amount of years, correct amount of money. Um, but I do think that I expect both of them to be back because as we talked about toward the end of the season, the Red Sox have, you know, the making the makings of a really solid infield for the years to come. And I just think it doesn't make sense to look elsewhere and look at other guys that, okay, you kind of don't know what they're going to be with Bogart's endeavors. You know what they're going to be. You know that they're going to perform at a high level here. You know that they want to be here. Um, and so I do think based on the comments that they made after the season, the chances are pretty good. But again, who knows? You know, I would hope that those comments are not smoke and mirrors, but I guess we'll have to find out. But I do expect that both of them will be back. So do appreciate the question. So now we're going to move on to some Celtics questions. Um, got plenty of them so far. So um, the first Celtics question that I got was from Derek Welch. He's been on the podcast before talking Celtics and he had kind of a three-part question. Um, and the first question was, what are your realistic expectations for the Celtics? So, you know, I think that they obviously are very talented. I think one of the best rosters in the league. You know, I think that the ceiling for their season could very well depend on Robert Williams' health. You know, I think that they're still a good enough team to be competitive and very good without him. You know, we've seen them play without him, but I do think that for the Celtics to be where they want to be, he needs to be completely healthy. Having said that, he is not healthy to start the season, and the Celtics may have to just deal with him being in and out of the lineup for certain parts of the year. But I do think that the, a realistic expectation for this team is to get back to the Eastern Conference Finals and get back to the NBA Finals. I think that, yes, the Eastern Conference has gotten better, but I do think the Celtics have also gotten better. And I do think that with the way that they played in that first game, it makes you feel confident that they can compete with any team and beat any team with how dangerous they are offensively. So I think realistic expectation, there's no reason that they can't make it back to the Eastern Conference Finals. There's no reason that they can't make it back to the NBA Finals. But I do think that... Eastern Conference Finals, at least, is a realistic expectation for this group. Now, the second part of Tarek's question is what will be considered a successful season. So I do think around these parts, for this to be considered a successful season, the Celtics probably have to at least get back to the Finals, if not win the whole thing. You know, I think just looking at how close they were last season, I do think a lot of us around here probably are not going to be satisfied unless they win the whole thing. But I think for me, if they make it back to the finals, if they even make it back to the Eastern Conference finals, 
I think that's successful. You know, if you look at how that Eastern Conference final ended last year, the Celtics are pretty lucky that they didn't lose in that game set. And so I do think that if they get back to that point, lose in a game seven to the Bucks, you know, a team that they beat in the playoffs last year, I think that you can still consider it a successful season. You know, it probably depends on what that loss looks like. You know, if the Celtics were kind of playing from behind the whole series, some things happened. You know, who knows? But I do think that getting back to the finals is probably going to be considered a successful season. Um, Derek's third third part of his question was how much will the EMA situation affect the season? So, you know, unfortunately, it's it had put the organization in a really tough spot. But I do think that the early returns on Joe Mazzulla are great. And they think that he has the respect of the organization, has the respect of the players. And I think that in a perfect world, this situation doesn't impact the team really at all. And I think you hope that it doesn't. It might, you know. And I think that if it affects the team, it's not going to be something that we can see. You know, if it affects the team, it's going to be, you know, some stuff that's going on, you know, maybe mentally in the players' heads and the coaches' heads. You know, I do think Missoula be interesting to see when he's faced with you know, big decisions. How does he respond? Because it's only been one game. It's hard to know what's going to happen when the Celtics undoubtedly lose some games. You know, maybe they don't look good in a certain game. You know, how do they look in high-pressure situations? You know, the Celtics were not really the best in terms of late-game execution in close games last year. So... so you know, it could affect them in terms of not having Eme's calming presence, but I do think that Joe is a coach that the guys all respect. So I don't think it's really going to affect them that much. You know, I think it's going to be interesting to see when the offseason does come, you know, what's going to happen then. You know, are the Celtics going to be confident that Joe Missoula can be their guy going forward, or is there something else that happens? So that's going to be curious to see. Um so some other Celtics questions. Um, my mom wanted to know uh, which Celtics could have a breakthrough season this year. So this is kind of difficult because they think you have a bunch of guys in this team that you kind of know what they're going to be. But I do think Derek White is a player that I think if he can have the confidence to take more shots and be able to knock down some open shots... I think he could have a breakout season from an offensive standpoint. He already is a a standout defender. So I think if he can improve on his offensive game, improve on his shooting, he could have a breakout season. And I think if he has a breakout season, this team is going to be so, so dangerous that you have all these guys, Jalen, Jason, you know, Malcolm Brogdon, you know, Hauser, who can knock down shots. You know, smart that can do things offensively. Al Horford, you add someone like Derek White who knocks down open shots. I mean, you're going to be a ridiculously hard team to beat. So he's a guy that I think could have a breakout season. Noah Vonley, I think, could have a breakout season. I really liked how he played against the Sixers, you know, really battled. And I think, you know, earning one of those last roster spots, you know, getting the opportunities that he's getting in the preseason games, in that regular season game. I think that he could have 
a breakthrough season. You know, he's a good rebounder. He's a good player that can score around the basket and I think can help you out defensively and help you out in a spot where I think, you know, the Celtics don't have to rely on Blake Griffin to kind of be that big rebounder guy in the middle that they can have someone like Vonley. So I think White and Vonley are probably my two guys that I think could have breakthrough seasons this year. And Vonley could have enough of a breakout season that, you know, there are other teams calling about him in the offseason. Um, so some more Celtics questions. Uh, my older brother Tyler wanted to know, uh, what are you looking forward to about the Celtics season? So, you know, something that everyone, I think, noticed in that first game in, against Philadelphia was the faster pace. You know, no one benefited more from that than Malcolm Brogdon. You know, he was fantastic running up and down the court, got other guys involved, got to the basket. You know, he's a guy that I think just completely changes the equation from an offensive standpoint because he gives you someone else that can slash, drive to the basket, get to the free throw line, gives you kind of that third scorer. And I think gives you that third scorer that can come in off the bench and can be someone that can kind of ignite the guys if maybe they're not shooting well in a game that he can come in, get some easy layups, and kind of just ignite the team. So I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing them playing quicker this season. Um, I'm also curious to see, you know, how Noah Vonley does. You know, we just talked about that because I think he's going to kind of be an important player for them this season. You know, Blake Griffin, kind of curious to see what both of those guys can do in the roles that they have, you know, probably those roles are going to become diminished once Rob Williams comes back. But I do think that once Rob does come back, the Celtics probably want to be careful with his minutes. So someone like Bonley, someone like Blake Griffin, I think is going to be important for, you know, kind of just their big man depth. Um, so those are, I think, a couple things I'm looking forward to with the season uh, so far. Um, Evan Greasing asked a good question uh, just this morning. I got some questions this morning just before I started. Um, and so Evan's question is, what do you think the Celtics' absolute floor is this season? So, you know, asking what's probably the worst-case scenario. So, you know, Evan, I think the worst-case scenario is this team gets to the second round and, you know, loses to a team like Philadelphia, Milwaukee, you know, the Nets. They lose to one of these good Eastern Conference teams. I think that that's the worst case. I can't see this team losing in the first round. I just think that they're way too talented that they get one of those top seeds. They win a first round series. But I think worst case scenario, they lose second round. And, you know, something happens during the season. You know, Brogdon gets hurt again. He doesn't play a lot of games. You know, the bench guys don't really gel as much as they would like. Um, Jalen and Jason maybe take a step back. You know, one of them maybe do. Al Horford maybe has trouble staying healthy for the first time in his career. You know, Rob Williams comes back, but he's not really the same guy. And he has trouble staying on the court. You know, I think it's kind of injury that I think is what could derail this team. But I think worst case scenario is they lose second round. And I think... Even that is not, you know, a horrible thing. You know, maybe it is, but it's like, look, the Celtics went to a second round game seven last year. 
And yeah, they blew out the Bucks, but it's like they blew out the Bucks because Grant Williams shot out of his mind. So, you know, if he doesn't do that, they could have easily lost that game. And they very easily could have lost in Game 7 to the Heat. So it could be that the Celtics go to a Game 7 second round. Maybe this time the game's in Milwaukee and the Celtics lose. You know, I think that that's probably worst-case scenario for them. A um, couple more Celtics questions, both from uh, my younger brother, Carter. Um, and so his question is, is this the year that Tatum wins MVP? Why or why not? So, you know, me, I was pretty bullish on Tatum, you know, being a top-five MVP candidate last year, and I think got some votes. I think finished fifth or sixth in MVP voting, I think. This could be the year that he wins it, but I do think that if he does, if he is going to win it, he needs to be a lot better than he was last season. And he got a lot better last season. You know, it's like he's going to have to improve even more. You know, he's going to have to be even more of a facilitator, you know, even more of a guy that can be more efficient shooting, you know, get better, have better shooting numbers from three you know, average close to 30 points a game. I think he's going to need to do that if he's going to win. I think he's certainly capable of doing all those things and playing really good defense. But I do just think the way that the awards go, it's like, it seems like it just goes to a couple of different guys. You know, you have Giannis, you have Jokic, you have Embiid. You have to believe that all three of those guys are going to be you know, having unbelievable seasons, you know, unless something goes wrong, unless, you know, one of those guys goes down with an injury. So I think why he can win it is Jason is capable of being better than he was last season and performing at a high level throughout this season. You know, I think that if he plays the way that he played the second half of the year last year and he plays like that throughout a whole season, he might have an outside chance of winning an MVP. I just I just feel like Jokic and Antetokounmpo are just guys that are going to win it every year. And it's just, you know, it's kind of unfortunate that the NBA doesn't let different guys really have the opportunity to win it, you know. But I don't know. It would be interesting to see. But I do think Jason is capable, but I don't know if he necessarily wins it. Um, and then Carter's second question can both the Jays make first team all NBA? So I think Jason certainly can. Jalen's going to have to be really on a mission, but it's like he's kind of looked like that early on in the season, in the preseason, and, you know, in that regular season game where he and Jason both drop 35. I think Jason has the better chance of making first team all NBA. I do think that Jalen does make all NBA. It may not be the first team, but I think he could absolutely make the third team or even the second team. So I don't think that they both make all NBA. I think Jason does, but I think Jalen surprises everyone, makes kind of that second team and kind of makes everyone realize that, okay, this guy is really, really good. You know, he was fantastic in the NBA finals last year. And if he continues to play like that, I think there's no reason to think that he couldn't make one of the all NBA teams, maybe not the first team, but I do think that uh, he's going to definitely be in the conversation. So I think we're going to close with some Bruins questions. Uh, my older brother Tyler asked a Bruins question. Um, and his question is, do you have any concerns 
with integrating a number of key players back. So I think the short answer is no, because when you look at McAvoy and you look at Brad Marchand, both of these guys know what their role is. They know, they know how important they are to the organization and their pros. You know, Brad's been around for so long. You know, this is his, this might be, this is like his 14th season maybe in the NHL. And I think that ever since he's come in, he's kind of had a bit of kind of a leadership position. I don't want to say that he's been a leader since he's come in, but it kind of seems like that's what it's been. I think that on this particular group, he's expected to kind of be one of the leaders of the team. So I think integrating him back into the lineup is not really much of a concern because he's been around for so long and he's such a good offensive player and just an amazing all-around player to, to that effect too. So I don't think that either of these guys are going to have issues getting integrated. I mean, I think it will be interesting to see how the Bruins integrate these guys because it's certainly going to affect other guys in their position on the team. The Bruins certainly are going to have to make a trade when both of these guys come back. But I think, you know, integrating Brad and integrating Charlie back into the team is not going to be the concern. I think it's going to be what's going to, what is kind of going to be the aftermath of that? Do the Bruins trade someone like Craig Smith? Do they get rid of someone like Tomas Nosek? Do they get rid of someone like a Mike Riley or a Derek Forbert? You know, I think that that's kind of where the questions come in, you know, because the Bruins are going to have to do something when they come back. So I think that that's kind of going to be interesting to watch. But I think integrating both of these guys back into the team, it's not going to be an issue, you know. Brad's going to be that first line left wing. Charlie's going to be their number one defenseman. I don't really think that there's going to be any concern as to, you know, the different roles. I mean, clearly with the new coach, maybe things are going to be a little bit different, but I think Montgomery's a pretty smart guy and isn't going to be having either of those guys have to kind of change the way that they play being integrated into the lineup. So we had a couple of, couple of other Bruins questions. Uh, going back to Jack Drew, uh, Jack's question was, how poorly can the Bruins perform before getting McAvoy and Marchand back and still have a shot at the playoffs? So, interesting question, Jack. I do think that if you look at where the Bruins were at the kind of the Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving quarter poll last year, which is usually a good determining factor of if you're going to be a playoff team or not, Believe it or not, the Bruins were actually outside the playoffs at that point. And the Bruins were still obviously able to make the playoffs. They were around 500 at that time. So that's kind of what I think that the Bruins can probably perform around 500. Still probably be able to make the playoffs. Because if you look at this lineup at full strength, there's no reason to think that they can't be a big-time contender in the Eastern Conference. And I think looking at how the team has performed so far, you know, recording this Friday morning, Bruins have won four of their first five. I think that the way that they're playing, I don't know if they're going to be at 500. They may be, they might be better. They might be in better position than they were at Thanksgiving last year if they continue to play at the pace that they're playing at right now. So I think 500 is probably where they can be and realistically have a chance because I do think, you know, and we've talked about this before, that I think other 
teams in the Atlantic Division, maybe they didn't necessarily get better in the summer. You know, there are teams that certainly made moves, but it's like you look at Tampa Bay. They've gone to the final three years in a row. They lost Andre Palat and Ryan McDonough. You know, Florida got worse defensively, and now things are a lot worse defensively as um, Aaron Ekblad is now in long-term injured reserve, you know, losing Mackenzie Wegar in the trade for Kachuk. Toronto's goaltending is a big question. So it's just, I don't know if the Bruins necessarily even have to do great before Marshall and McAvoy comes back, come back, but it's like already... They're playing really well, and they're getting a lot of guys involved, which is really good to see. So I think our – just want to make sure I caught everyone's question. Um, so, yeah, I think we have two more questions. Both of them are from uh, Tosh Campbell, a good friend of mine. Um, and so Tosh is, has two Bruins questions. So his first question, is the Bruins shift in play style sustainable long-term – to rely so heavily on the offense. So I think, you know, Tosh, it's a good question because it's one of the things that I think people are most interested to see. How do the Bruins play differently with Jim Montgomery? And I think that you kind of heard throughout training camp in the preseason that, okay, the Bruins are going to try to be more up-tempo. They're going to try to get their defensemen more involved in what they're trying to do offensively. You know, you've seen it through five games guys are making D to D passes, but then those defensemen are being told to go. You know, they're not being told to stay back. They're being told to go. And I think that you've had some mistakes in some of these games. Some guys have, you know, pinched too far in the zone. Some guys have turned the puck over at the at the, at the blue line. And I think it's going to happen with this style of play. Um, and I just think you hope that the Bruins can use some of these games early on as kind of a way to test things out and be like, okay, this is how I was taught to do things last year. This is how we're being taught to do things this year. Things are different. And I think any time that you implement a change, I think that's significant. It's going to take some time. And so I think it's, it's difficult because I think with the personnel that the Bruins have right now, would this be sustainable the entire season? Maybe not, but I do think if they're going to have Martian and McAvoy come back, you know, Grizzlick has already come back. He returned last night. When the Bruins get fully constituted, I think absolutely that style of play is sustainable. You know, I do think that right now it's a little challenging because, you know, Hampus Lindholm is being... To- is is being asked to play a larger role. Mike Riley is being asked to play a larger role. You have a couple of guys that I think are responding well to a bigger role, Connor Clifton. Um, but I think you're going to see some mistakes. You know, you saw a lot of mistakes in Ottawa Tuesday night, and I think there's reason to believe, based on how they played last night, that that could just, could, could just have been a one-off. You know, it was a back-to-back Ottawa's home opener, you know, Bruins traveled after the game Monday night. So, you know, I don't think you're going to, I don't think that games like that are going to be the norm, you know, but I think obviously it's, it's easy to look at that score and be like, oh my God, seven to five, are they going to be playing games like this the whole season? I don't think that's going to be the case because I think 
the Bruins are going to be able to get back to full health in a reasonable amount of time. You know, it's not unreasonable to think that Marchand and McAvoy could return in like a month or so. You know, I know Thanksgiving is kind of the target date, but early November was the target date for Mac Grizzlick, and he's already back playing. So, you know, I think that it's sustainable long-term with or when they get fully healthy. If they had this personnel the entire season, then I'd be a little bit more concerned that, okay, they might not be able to play like this the whole season. But I think once they're fully healthy, they can absolutely play at this at this pace and have it be sustainable. Um, Tasha's next question is, what's going on with Jeremy Swayman? And is he going to be our next guy? Or are we going to have to stick with Allmark for the next few years? For the next few years. So, you know, first talking about Allmark, he was unbelievable last night. He single-handedly allowed the Bruins to win that game last night. So he's played great early on. I think the early returns on him to start the season are fantastic. Wasn't really the story last season. He kind of struggled out of the gate. So it's kind of the reverse of what happened in the beginning of last season. Swayman was the guy that looked really good and looked ready. Olmark kind of, I think, needed some time to adjust. Now the reverse has happened. Olmark has been really good. Swayman's kind of struggled. You know, I think that, you know, it could be a combination of things. You know, it's a new season. Some guys just struggle out of the gate. You know, not comparing Swayman to a forward in Craig Smith, but he's someone that's kind of struggled out of the gate. He's had to watch the last two games. So I don't think it's anything to be overly concerned about. You know, I think that he could just have, could just be struggling. But I think that that's, this is what the Bruins envisioned, that they could have two very solid goalies that, you know, if one guy's not playing well, hopefully the other guy is. So I think... You know, the question of is he going to be the next guy, I think it's complicated because you have Olmark here. He's playing well. You know, he's signed for the next three seasons, I believe, including this one, um, making $5 million, which is, you know, a big chunk of change. But, you know, you have Swayman, who's coming up to be a restricted free agent this offseason. So, you know, obviously the early returns on him aren't great, but I do think that he will figure it out at some point. He's a smart kid. He's a confident kid. And look, it's goalies. You know, they're, they're weird. Sometimes guys don't play well for a decent stretch of time. There were stretches last season where he didn't really play his best. Um, but I think the Bruins are con- going to continue to play both guys. Um, and I think that that's what you're going to see. I don't think you're going to see one guy playing more than the other guy unless one guy is really, really struggling. We've not really seen Jeremy struggle for a long period of time. May have seen him struggle for a couple weeks at a time last year. But I think unless you see Swayman struggle for an extended period of time, like a month, then you might start to think, okay, you know, is something going on? But I do think, look, he's made two or three starts this season. Obviously, the start in Ottawa wasn't good, but... You also have to consider the Bruins did not play well defensively in that game. Sure, Swayman allowed those first two goals that I think he should have had, but the Bruins were awful defensively in that game. And I think 
you hope that he can have a better performance when he starts that next game. Is it tomorrow afternoon against Minnesota? Is it Tuesday night against Dallas? You know, we'll see. So, but I do think I'm kind of on a wait and see with Jeremy Swayman and hope that he can kind of get through the early season doldrums and be able to be, you know, consistent consistent presence for the Bruins. But I do think, you know, Tosh, going back to your first question, with the Bruins playing this style, the Bruins are going to be susceptible to more odd man rushes, and they're going to rely on their goaltending to make big saves. And so I think, you know, that could also be something that Jeremy is going to adjust to, that, okay, there are going to be a lot more high danger chances that are probably going to come my way. I don't think that that's going to be the case the whole season, but I think once the Bruins get back fully healthy, they're probably going to look a little bit more cleaner and a little less sloppy defensively. They looked a lot better last night, I will say. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Bruins do Saturday afternoon when Kirill Kaprizov and the Minnesota Wild come in. They've not had a good start to the season, but you know they're a team that's really dangerous. So if Swayman gets the start, we'll hope that he can bounce back and be a little bit better. So I think, I think that probably does it for uh, the uh, mailbag episode this week. I want to thank everyone for submitting questions. This was probably the best turnout that we've had for any mailbag episode. So I uh, really appreciate all the questions. Hopefully you guys enjoyed, and we will be back with you folks uh, next week. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Follow our socials on Twitter and on Facebook, and everyone have a great weekend.